Why do kids play sports? Is it to go pro or earn a scholarship? Or are they looking for extraordinary experiences that they can build on for the rest of their lives? I want to help the next generation of parents and coaches keep youth sports about the kids. And I am so glad that you're joining me. And welcome back to the Kid First Sports Podcast. This is your Kid First host, Coach Dave Vassileros. And as always, it's an honor to be with you. I'm glad you're with us and with me. It's, uh, I just checked this week and I'm up to 27 countries. I have listeners in 27 countries. It's unbelievable. Whoever you are in all of these different countries, I would love to hear from you. You can leave a comment on the podcast, on Apple, Spotify, wherever you listen to it. You can hit me up on uh, my website at kidfirstsports.com. That's singular kid, kidfirstsports.com. Hit me up, send me a message. People from the Middle East, all over Europe, Africa, South America, all over the the United States. It's amazing. It's amazing. I'd love to know who you are and, and what your story is. So thank you for listening. Today, I'm bringing you an unbelievable person. I'm sitting today with Ginny Cannon. We're down in St. George, Utah, and it's warm and sunny and beautiful. And I've known Ginny for, well, we got to, it's got to be three, four years, but I guess we met in Lancaster. So it'd be probably almost 10 years. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And we'll get into all of that, but close friends, amazing people. And Ginny has a story that you need to hear. You need to hear what she has to say and who she is and how it's made her love kids. So Ginny, welcome. Thank you very much. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. It's going to be so good. And we're both wearing matching long sleeve, yes. greenish, bluish t-shirts. Um, but that's a good day. Ginny and Doug have been together for, I don't know, a million years. 40 years. 40 years. And they have four kids. I'm not going to get the order right, but you go through the order. Okay. You got? Tyson's the oldest. Mm-hmm. And then Kenna, who... We, we know, know each yeah. other through. And then there's Jake and then Tiana. Okay. And so there's four <laughs> kids and 15 grand. We're actually gonna, about to have number 13. Oh my gosh. That's amazing. Yeah. That's amazing. The baker's dozen. The baker's dozen. That's right. That's exactly right. <laughs> By the way, and you don't, you can't see this, but Ginny looks like she's 30. Uh, <laughs> so I'm not sure how she has grandchildren. He's very kind. No, that's the truth. But anyway, so they have great kids and we met because we were in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. And we went to church with a, there was a family that moved in, young family. And the, the husband name was Christian. He was finishing, I think he was finishing residency mm-hmm. for medical training. He and his wife, Kenna, move in and they have, I don't know, was it four kids at the time? They were on their fourth one when okay. we met. All right. And these amazing, cute little blonde kids, <laughs> they were adorable and full of life and yep. like personality. And so we got to know the, the Andersons, Christian and Kenna Anderson, pretty well. And then a couple Sundays in, Doug and Ginny show up to visit the grandkids. And of course, we say hi and get to know them. And that was the first intro. Yeah. It's funny because they hosted us when I had a surgery down in St. George. I stayed yeah. and recovered at their house and they took very good care of me. When Bonnie had a surgery in St. George, we stayed at their house. They are like, they're amazing hosts and, and amazing friends. And now we've been able to give a little back. Because when you go to Washington and to visit yep. them, you stop by Boise. Yep. We have a place to stay. <laughs> yeah. And you're always welcome. Which is sweet. Yeah, we love it. It's great to see you guys. I've been excited to meet with Ginny and have her tell you her story probably since I heard the story. Probably got in the last three, four years where we really got to know you. And you're going to hear some really tough things today. Some tough things that kids shouldn't have to deal with. And you're going to see how a person can 
be shaped by their life to a point where they can turn around and shine incredible light on other children because of what they went through. So today's episode is going to be what makes us love kids, what gets us there. And we've got an amazing story for you. Ginny, you guys are an athletic family. You guys are all sporty. Mm -hmm. Doug's sporty, played all the sports, all the American sports, right? In high school and played softball forever. What did you do when you were young? What sports did you play? First and foremost, I was a dancer. And most people don't think that's a sport, but it's a lot of work. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I did cheerleading. I did drill team. Alongside that, basketball was my love. And I did track. I love to run. You love to run. And you still love to run, but now on smaller courts chasing a pickleball ball. (laughs) Do they call it a pickleball ball or is it a pickleball? Pickleball. 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 Just a ball. Yeah. Ginny is a killer competitor on the pickleball court. Anyone wants to know, I think it's what, six o'clock or seven o'clock in the morning? We have an amazing group. A shout out to my pickleball ladies. We call ourselves the sweet and sours. Oh my gosh. When we win, we're sweet. When we lose, we're a little bit sour. But yeah, we usually start about 6.15 setting up nets and because some of us have to go to work. And so we just have a group that comes in and starts playing and play to about nine or 10 o'clock and we love it. That's incredible. Do you have t-shirts? Sweet and Sours? We don't yet. We've talked about that. I know. We're going to have to work on that one. Maybe the Kid for Sports podcast can sponsor some t-shirts for the Sweet and Sours. Yeah, we definitely need to do something. I think that would be really cool. Oh my gosh, that'd be awesome. You played a ton, you still play. Doug played a ton, and he's got a killer mustache, by the way. (laughs) Yes, he does. Um, So your kids have played soccer, basketball, volleyball. Those are their main three. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which one did you like to watch the most? And be honest, not the kid, the sport. Okay. What sport did you like to watch the most? Probably volleyball. Mm-hmm. Just because, and when they changed the rally score, that just intensified. Totally. And that was so fun to watch. Yeah. So you said you were a dancer. Dancer takes a lot of time. And frankly, mm-hmm. it's expensive. It is now. I don't know how it used to be, but. It, it wasn't as much for us, fortunately, but I came in late to the sport because by the time I came to my foster family, I was 12 mm. and I had not had dance lessons. So I actually taught myself by, and some people maybe won't recognize these names, but I watched the old movies with Fred Astaire, Jane Kelly, oh, yeah. Audrey Hepburn, and I, Leslie Crone, I would just record them and learn the dances. Are you serious? I'm serious. So you didn't have any training till the up or then? Before no, then. I never had any dance lessons. But you had a love for it. Yes. I'm like a music connoisseur and love dancing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you know where did that come from? Did, was it just born in you or did was there someone around no. who also loved it? Well, me, music was my escape because when I was a youth in my childhood, we only we listened to the radio a lot and there was a lot of turmoil in my home. And I would listen to the music to escape. Let's talk about that if we can. I know you have a, I'll call it, it's a dramatic childhood. Yes. And you've mentioned it already just in passing, joining your foster family at age 12. How did you end up with a foster family at age 12? There were seven of us and I was the second oldest of the kids. I had an older brother. In your birth family. In my birth family, biological family. Mm -hmm. And then I had a sister and then the rest were boys. And I had a stepdad that would get drunk a lot and come home and beat us. And they didn't take care of us properly with food. And, and so the state finally took us away. We'd, ta- we'd been taken away once. And then they 
did whatever the courts asked him, and then we were given back. And then by the last time, that was the final straw, and they took us away permanently and put us in Child Haven. What's, wait, in Las what, Vegas. What's, oh, you grew up, so you grew up in Las Vegas, yeah. Yeah, I was born in California, and then we moved to Las Vegas. And then, yeah, Child Haven is a place in there where they put youth until they figure out where to put them, whether they go in a foster home or get adopted. I was about 11 and a half, and everybody wanted the babies, so everybody came in to visit day and took the babies. And So your younger siblings... You watched them get taken. I did not get to because I had this plot. This is really, but I shared with my roommate that I was going to break out of there. I was going to stay awake all night mm -hmm. and get out and go get my siblings and climb the fence somehow and take them. I was already raising them myself anyways. Mm -hmm. And she told the counselor. And so I got locked in a room and did not get to say goodbye to my younger siblings. It was pretty hard. And then, of course, they needed to do something with me. And the first foster home I went to, which I don't fault them, they were great people, but they were waiting for their baby that they were going to adopt. Mm. And they had a daughter that was my age, and she didn't want me there. And I knew they were going to push me somewhere else anyways once their baby was born, so I ran away. And then they put me in detention when they caught me and locked me up. Yeah, that was, was really traumatic. <clears throat> and you were in that 11 and a half, 12 11 range. and a half, yep. Can we go back to, I'm sorry, what did you say the name of the facility it, was? It was called Child Haven. Child Haven. Yes. Let's go back to Child Haven for just a second. You were 11 at the time or so. Mm -hmm. Your older sibling, sister, older sister. My younger sister. You were number two, right? I was number two. Okay, where was number one? Well, my older brother and my younger sister were actually in Texas with some relatives ah. when we got taken away. And so they were getting them extradited back to the state of Nevada at the time. So it was just me and my younger siblings. Got it. And so your younger number three was in Texas. So four through seven were with you. And those ages yeah. were? From three years old up to about nine. Three to eight nine. Eight or nine. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was, was hard. And okay. So at that age, you have now experienced being in a home that was unsafe and you mentioned it was right. your stepfather. Correct. I don't know who my real dad is. Okay. As that's the case till today? Yep. Okay. So you grew up with a stepdad and your stepdad wasn't making good parental mm -mm. choices. Not at all. And do you mind if I ask where your mom, how, what part did she play in this kind of scenario? I see, you know, I don't know all as a kid and mm -hmm. I, I, don't, I didn't get all that information, but I believe she was, you know, bullied in some way, but she also was living her life even though she had these children to take care of, which I want people to know I, I've moved on, I've yep. forgiven her, yep. but she definitely had her own issues that was going on. Mm -hmm. So I was pretty much the mom. My yeah. younger siblings actually didn't realize that I was their sister. Really? They thought I was the mom. It sounds like this is the first phase of your life where you had a decision to make, right? You could have decided to behave mm -hmm. a different way. You didn't have to take responsibility and care for your younger siblings. That was a choice you made, but I wonder if that was also not a choice for you. In other words, you automatically stepped in. Yeah. I've, I think I've always had a nurturing about me, but I also knew these were defenseless, helpless little babies and somebody had to take care of them. Mm -hmm. And so I did stay home from school a lot and mm -hmm. took care of them while my mom went to work and my dad, stepdad was gone. And mm -hmm. 
Did the school check in and be like, hey, where's Ginny? Yeah, I believe there were times there was like truant officers that showed up, mm-hmm. but I don't think there was a lot of follow through. Mm-hmm. In Las Vegas, there were so many kids that were in dysfunctional homes and I just don't think they could keep up. No, no. And I can imagine. And the work that the social workers do and the child courts and the foster system, everyone knows that it's not perfect. No. Everyone knows. But, and we're going to get back to this, but I think that there are people in this system who are trying to help kids whose hearts are gold and they realize that their hands are tied. There's limits right. to what you can do to help children either in their home family right. or once they're in the foster system. That's a shout out to all of our social workers and all the folks involved yeah. in this system that it's heartbreaking. I like yeah. to get up every day and go in and say, all right, I'm going to fight this fight today. So let's go back to Child Haven. How long were your siblings there before they were taken yeah. to homes? I believe just a few months. Okay. Like I said, whenever there's babies, people come. They want babies because they think they can raise them to mm-hmm. the way that mm-hmm. meshes in their home and their family. Yeah. Were oh. you aware of the difference between how the people who came in looked at the older kids versus the younger kids? Oh. Was that obvious to you? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I We heard... A lot of times the adults don't realize the kids hear things. Mm. They'll be talking and they don't think we're listening, but we do. And I did hear counselors say, nobody wants the older kids. That phrase of, they got bad blood. They're already got these habits and these ways about them that will be hard. And it's not easy to take in somebody else's child. There's no doubt about it. So I understand that. But that was harsh. That was really harsh to hear that. You remember this now, and I'm not going to say how many years because I don't actually know, but it's a lot of years ago. Can you remember the the situation where you overheard that person? Oh, yeah. Like the details, right? Yeah. it's. I just figured I was not any good to anybody. And I do remember that. You're making me like, (laughs) making me get a little emotional here. Um, Wow. So there you were. Your mom and stepdad weren't able to care for you. And I don't know if you thought of that like they didn't want me or they just couldn't like, how do you, how did you deal with leaving the home that you were familiar with? And I think people don't understand this, but I still had loyalty Mm. because that was my mom, not towards my stepdad, but my mom, I loved her, but I hated her, Mm. if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And I knew that she did give birth to me. She is my mother. But on one hand, I would go, oh, I want to be out of here. I want my own life. And then on the other, I would go, what am I going to do? How am I going to do this? So that was that mixture of loyalty and I want to do my own thing. And I've observed that in my life as we're, and I've worked with kids a long time, not in the Mm -hmm. same way that you have, but been around the kids either at church or sports or scouts or school or friends, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And this split where they are loyal because it's their family. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, either they know or don't know, but we can all see this is not good for you. They're not caring for you. But to hear that almost gets your defenses up. Like, no, this is my mom. Oh, yeah. And how how can an adult help a kid who's in a situation where they're split like that? You have to be patient. If you don't, if you never experienced it, you can't tell them you know how they feel. Hmm. That is, that's a big mistake because I had a caseworker say that to me and I, I was very shy and you didn't speak, but I lost it with him and just said, oh, did this happen to you? 
Mm-hmm. And of course he said, no. And I said, then don't tell me you know how I feel. Mm-hmm. So you can't tell them that it's going to be okay. You can't tell them, I understand. You can say to the effect of, you know what? I've never experienced this before. Tell me how I can help. Mm-hmm. Give me some direction that can help you and let me be here for you. How would you have answered that as a 12-year-old? I think I would have just said, just let me vent. Just listen to Mm -hmm. me and let me say what I want, no matter how harsh, no matter Mm. how raw, and just be there. Did you get that as a kid at that age? Did you, was there a person along the way who you trusted and played that role for you? Yeah. My mom, my adopted mom, Mm because eventually I got adopted, Mm -hmm. but my mom was there for me and let me vent. And I had a high school friend that was amazing. And she didn't realize it. And she lives here now in St. George. We became friends instantly. And we danced together. We cheered together. We sang together. We did everything. And she always listened and never gave me advice, but just listened and let me be there. And that was my best friend from high school. Do you mind sharing her name? Karen. Karen. Karen, if you ever hear this, and I hope you know the lifelong effect that you've had on another human being by listening Now I'm going to cry. Good. (laughs) She's a great person. I'm glad. I'm really glad. And to the kids who listen, I have high school kids who listen. Mm -hmm. And you know how high school is. It's Mm -hmm. rough and confusing and the hormones, and especially among boys, it's like jockeying and who's the top of the pile and finding your group and finding your identity. It's a hard time. Yeah. And I don't know what was going on in Karen's life. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Maybe she was having issues. I don't know. But for some reason, she thought, I can be a friend to someone by listening. Yeah. She didn't try to solve your problems, did she? No. She was just there. She was just there. Mm-hmm. So all you high school kids, even I even say college kids who are listening, there's probably somebody not too far from your circle, maybe in your circle, who the best mm-hmm. thing they need is someone who's just there and listens. Yeah. Maybe that sounds trite. But I'm sitting across from someone who's telling me a number of years later, it's not trite. Correct. It could be life-changing. You had two foster families, right? Right. First one, you were only there for a little and you bolted. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I did. And how did they find you? Like, where'd you go? I knew Las Vegas by landmarks. Landmarks. I knew where the casinos were. My mom worked in the casinos, so I knew where hotels and stuff. And in my brain, I thought, I'll just make my way around back to my grandma's house because I knew how to get to her house. And I'm sure I was lost. I didn't know it at the time, but I was in the middle of the desert and then a police uh, car drove by and and I tried to hide behind the sagebrush and stuff, which was ridiculous because you could see right through it. But I knew they were coming to get me. And that was right there was very traumatic because they said, hey, we're going to take you to Child Haven. But I didn't know I was going to get locked up into the juvenile part. But I just said, please just listen to me. And I just started crying. I just said, just, I want you to know how I feel. And no fault of theirs. And they were just doing their job. So they, I wouldn't get up. So they just dragged me to the police car and put me in and then took me back to Child Haven. And there's a section that's the lockup for the really harder kids that Mm -hmm. are in trouble with the law and isolated me. And that was tough. They didn't take you back to that family. No. Once you bolt, is that kind of a thing like you don't get to go back or that's just how it worked I don't out? know why they didn't take me back. It was a weekend. So maybe they had decided at that point 
that mm-hmm. it was best that they just wait mm-hmm. for their baby. I don't know for sure. All I know is I got locked up like I was a criminal. And it's like when you go to jail. Like juvie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How long were you there? Um, I was only there for a weekend because mm-hmm. the judge that was over my case was actually out of town. And when he got back in town, um, he was pretty upset. I heard because I don't think we listened. But yeah. And so then they put me back in Child Haven. Okay. Back in the... General Mm -hmm. population here. Okay. Yeah. And then how long before your second foster family came in? I think I was there a couple of months. And then... Now this time by yourself, right? Yeah. Your siblings aren't there. Everybody's gone. Did you have a friend? Not really. Probably the only one was the lady who would come in and cook. Hmm. And she was the sweetest and she had this accent. She'd always call me baby girl. So I think she was from the South because she'd say, baby girl, come here. I just, she was really sweet. So I remember always sitting with her and talking with her and watching her cook. But otherwise, I pretty much kept to myself. You probably felt a little burned after the first time when you confided in your roommate and they Mm -hmm. told on you, she told on you, right? Yep. So you learned learned early, right? (laughs) Yep. Keep it to yourself. (laughs) Oh my gosh, you're too young for that. So your second foster family came and a couple months later... Took you in. Did they have other siblings, other kids? They did. They had three, two boys and a girl. And the two boys, one boy was married. The other boy was out of the home. And then this girl was just getting ready to get married. She was like a senior and getting ready to graduate. So there was a big age difference. Okay. All right. When I was told from my mom and dad is my dad had a dream that they were supposed to have another kid. Of course, my mom couldn't have any more. And so he talked her into going to Child Haven on the non-visit time which he had to sweet talk the secretary and they showed up and he, they said, when they saw me, I was the one in his dream. And they, wow. t- they asked me if I wanted to come live with them. And I said, sure, why not? Yeah. It was about uh, 60 miles outside of Las Vegas. Oh, so totally new environment for you. Yeah. Over to Nevada. Mm-hmm. Okay. Can I go back a little bit? First of all, mm-hmm. you, you called them mom and dad very naturally just now. They're the ones who eventually adopted you, right? Correct. So when you say mom and dad from here on out, Mm -hmm. I'm going to assume you're talking about that. And what what are their names? Frank and Laura Bush. Frank and Laura Bush. Are they still with us? No. They're both gone. I'm sorry. Thank you. And so Frank and Laura Bush came and they said, we want you. Mm -hmm. When you heard that, did you believe it? Did it feel like, eh, I'm not sure. Let's see how this goes. Well, I thought I might have a better chance because that when they told me their kids were older, I thought, okay, well, that was better than the last one. At least I don't have another sibling there that might not want me there. Mm-hmm. I thought I had a chance. And I, at that point, I was ready to get out of Vegas. I was done. So you're now 12. I, right? I'm almost 12. I came to them in February and then I turned 12 in August. Okay. Just a quick note for all the mm-hmm. listeners. Maybe think back to what you were doing when you were 12. Maybe think about what your kids, if you have kids and if they're that age, what were they doing at 12? What were their thought processes? What was their uh, maturity level and their ability to deal with really difficult things? I know where I was. I know where my kids were. Right. And I'm just listening to your story and it's remarkable. So Frank and Laura show up. They say, Mm -hmm. would you like to come live with us? Yep. And your thought was... Yeah, you're doing the math, right? You're doing the math in your head. Let's see. Are they far enough away from Las Vegas? Do they have other kids? You're doing this in your mind instead of it being, because I think maybe from a movie standpoint, you would think that when these people show up and they've had this dream, it's very dramatic, right? It's a Mm -hmm. beautiful story. And they say, would you like to come live with us? 
And the 12-year-old looks and says, yes, I would love to be there. <laughs> really, in your head, you're saying, mm, okay. I'll, I'll give it a try. Yeah. But my defenses were up. Yeah. I was very guarded and I had the anticipation that it wouldn't last long, but I had nothing else to lose. Yep. So I was going to mm. give it a try. Good point. How long did it take before your defenses came down? And what was what did Frank and Laura do to earn your trust? Like I said, my mom, she just listened and she was a school teacher. I had missed already two years of school. So there was a lot of learning for me to do. And I didn't want anybody to know how illiterate I was. Mm. I didn't even know what money was. Like I had to learn at 12 years old what a dollar, a quarter, a nickel. I had never experienced it. I didn't know. So she taught me that. She taught me to read better. And I have to back up because a huge part of my life was when I was in that detention and they locked me in. And I don't know, I have to tell you, I was raised Catholic. I was raised that there's a God, but I was angry. Oh, I was like, if you're real, why am I here? And when I got locked up in the isolation in the room I was going to be in, there was a Bible sitting there and there's a little tiny window with a little bit of light that comes through. And I remember looking at that Bible going, and I, I, I literally looked up to the window and went, oh, now you want me to read about you? Now you want me to know you're here? I don't think so. Ain't going to happen. So I had in my mind that, nope, he didn't help me. It's I'm done. When I came to them, they gave me a choice to go to the Catholic Church or the LDS Church, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Mm -hmm. so of course, I was by myself, and I didn't know, so I just thought, I'm going to go with them. I don't know anybody here. I walked in that building, and I still get that feeling when I walk into that chapel that I've always been with you, just didn't know who I was. And I knew there was something different, and I needed to find out what this was. That ultimately changed my life. And when you said earlier about I had to make a decision of what kind of life I was going to be, you know, take care of the kids or go do my own thing. I knew at that point that I needed to do what the Lord needed me to do. And I needed to have a relationship with him to get through what I was going to go through, which is still a lot. There was a lot to go through. Did you read that Bible? No, I could not even pick it up. I felt like it would just burn my hands if I did. I mm. just was so angry. Wow. Gosh. So you were raised Catholic, but was there religion in the home? Were it practicing Catholics? Did you I go to church? Was it just Christmas and Easter? Talked about. Talked about, okay. Once in a while, went to church. Once in a while, had weddings. Yeah. But not a whole lot. So you didn't really have a, a foundation of knowledge about God. No. But it's interesting that you knew enough that you were comfortable being mad at him. Yeah. Right? You knew there was something there that was supposed to be good. And where are you? Right. And that's, again, age 11, age 12. Kids think, they feel, they listen. They're mm -hmm. so much more absorbent of the things that are going on around them than right. maybe us adults give credit for. Exactly. All right. Now we're back with mom and dad. Mm -hmm. How long were you there before they said, hey, we want to adopt you? Actually, I was, my caseworker come out every year and give us an update on what my mom was doing. And she had certain stipulations mm -hmm. by the courts that if she did certain things, then she could get us all back. Every year he'd come and say, eh, didn't happen this year. Next year, same thing. So that happened every year until I was 16. And then they came back and said, okay, it looks like she's done everything. So 
you kids are going to probably go back to her. And I'm like, nope. <laughs> I'm, no, I have a life. I have friends. I finally am doing well in school. And I think at that time I was still calling my mom and dad, Frank and Laura. Mm. But there was a transition that happened that year that made me realize, okay, this is my place. And so my mom and dad, Frank and Laura, got a lawyer because I said, I don't want to go back. And the courts appointed me an advocate. And they went to trial. When we were there, I was not allowed to go in the courtroom mm. because I was supposed to tell my advocate everything. And then they go in and report it. He would go in and hear what's going on. And when he came back out, he said, oh, it's not looking good for your foster parents. And I'm like, oof, I'm, I want to speak. I'm 16 years old. I yeah. should be able to speak for myself. So I duped him and asked for a drink, a pop, which I knew the pop machine was around the corner. And I walked in the courtroom and I just said, hey, you're deciding my life and nobody's asking me what I want. And so they swore me in. And unfortunately for her, because I know it broke her heart, I testified against her and just said, I don't want to go back. I know what's going to happen. And now I'm finally experiencing a childhood that I didn't get to have. And I want to continue. What kind of courage did it take for you to walk into that courtroom full of grownups? I remember we talked about your loyalty, yep. Yep. a mom who I'm sure there was still some loyalty that may have faded a little by this time because you were mm -hmm. a little older and maybe understood life a little better. Right. And then Frank and Laura, mom and dad on the other side. And there you are, all these grownups, there's a bailiff and there's a judge on the bench and there's all the people there, attorneys or whoever it is. What kind of courage did that take? A lot because I was so shy so shy. And I think a lot of my shyness was because I felt so inadequate academically and just even knowledge of things. And so I didn't say a whole lot. Mm. I didn't want to be in the front of anything. But I do believe that the Lord gave me courage to do it because the statement I said was, she is my mother. She gave birth to me. Her blood runs through my veins. But she's no longer my mother. And I want to stay where I'm at because now I have a mother and a dad who are there for me. And the judge said, okay, and let me stay. There's so much richness in this story. And you know what? We're going to keep going. This is going to be a okay. longer episode, people. Just buckle in. But I hope that, that you feel what I'm feeling here. This is amazing. Two things happened when you said that. Mm -hmm. You broke a heart and... You confirmed to mom and dad yep. that dream he had, the effort that they had put in for you. Because by the way, I'm sure it was no picnic. Oh, right. Right. Bringing in mm -hmm. a person with a kid with your background. Mm -hmm. That was probably a battle many days. And they're sitting there. They had paid an attorney. And to hear you say that, do you remember looking and seeing both faces? Do you, do you see that in your mind at all? Honestly, I saw my biological mom. I was looking at her, and I think the reason why I, I had the the assurance that I was okay over here with mm -hmm. mom and dad, but I felt like I needed to look at her so that she could understand to let go mm. and and let all of us go because everybody was in homes, they were progressing, they were moving on, and I just was hoping and pleading with my eyes that she would just let it go. Did she? She did. And true. yes, and as a matter of fact, when my youngest was born, my Tiana, we had reconciled, we became friends, and mm. she came to the blessing of my youngest child. So 
I introduced my mother-in-law, I introduced my adopted mom, and I introduced my biological mom. And it was good. It was good. Hmm. Yeah. Ah, that's amazing. This story, I, okay, okay, all right. I know I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I, like, I, the, the thought I just had was, someone needs to hear this who is a screenwriter. They need to write a script about your story because this is just the beginning. We haven't right. even gotten to the what you've done. Right. So you're now 16. Okay. They've adopted you. It, it didn't officially get done until I was 19. Unfortunately, the courts took so long. Oh my gosh. Yeah. But, but it, functionally, yeah, they, by, okay. Yeah, I was there so at 16. Okay. 19 comes, you're officially adopted into the family. Okay. Now you're grown up, right? Mm -hmm. You're done, you graduate high school. Yep. And you go out into the world and we're not going to tell your entire life story, but let's just fast forward to you're married. Okay. You have kids of your own. Yes. Before you guys decided to have Tyson, were there thoughts like, do I want to have children in this world? Yeah. Oh, I was scared. I actually had just said, oh, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I can be a good mom. I don't know if I can move. I don't know if I could do it. And when Tyson was born, and I looked into his face, every one of my kids when they're born, I just literally poured out my heart to Heavenly Father and just said, okay, here we go. I need your help. I'm going to read every parenting book I can get my hands on. I'm going to listen to the older ladies because they've been there, done that. Mm -hmm. I'm going to get their advice. And I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. Knowing at least some of your children, I think that if you ask them if you did it, they would say, yes, yeah, she did. I think so. I've gotten letters, different text messages that have confirmed that, yeah, I did it. You did Not it. Not perfectly, but I did it. And so here you are. And, and one of the things I love about your story is that it comes from a place of so much pain and loss and deficit that as humans, we know this isn't a Disney movie, okay? Like right. We know you have had to deal with the fallout from a childhood like yours. Yes. And now mom and dad went a long way to helping that. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure some of that has come with you. Yes. But I do want to point this out. Something that's come with you that I've observed is an unbelievable and let's call it an unmatched ability to connect with and express love to kids yeah and i'm going to tell a quick story okay, okay. if that's okay about you oh a couple years ago we came down here for a so this soccer tournament and they invited the team the whole team of boys to come over these are 14 i think 14 year olds mm -hmm. and she's like, you gotta come over we'll feed you and <laughs> i have a game and I'm like, uh, I think it'll be okay. Yeah, definitely we want to eat, but I'm not sure how these teenage boys are going to deal with a, a game from a stranger. Right. They come in the house. Of course, the food was amazing. And Doug, that's for you, Shout buddy. Shout out to Doug. Doug, Doug, he's the man. <laughs> um, they come in after we finish eating. Ginny gets out there among this, she's got by 15, 14 year olds, 15. And she's, okay, here's how the game works. We're going to do, it was a candy game. It was the right, left, center game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. And some of the kids do games like this in family settings, and a lot right. of them hadn't. It took them, I, I don't know, 30 seconds of you talking mm -hmm. and you being in their space and your energy and your obvious love for them before they jumped all in. Yeah. I have video. Oh. It's, it's brilliant. They are laughing and loving yeah. it, and your face is just shining. It's shining. It's wonderful. Mm -hmm. It's wonderful. And I think that's a gift 
you've been given and let's call it given and that you've paid a price for. Yeah. Do you agree? I do. I do. And I think too is like I said before, nobody realizes that the kids are really listening and they need to be heard. And when I say need to be heard, we need to also be listening to them because sometimes they do need to be told they crossed the line. Mm -hmm. And then they need to be told, okay, you did this great. And a lot of times with my kids, and if you talk to them, I'll say whenever there was turmoil or arguing or whatever, it was after the tempers calmed down, mm -hmm. which we all have it. Then we came together and said, okay, you crossed this line. I crossed this line. What are we going to do? How are we going to fix this? Because they want that. Mm. They want that. And, and if we want them to be good adults, we have to teach them how to do that, how to talk, how to solve problems, how to figure out if they cross the line and accept and take acknowledgement of their wrong as well as adults. Yeah. You have been active in serving the youth in your community for a long time. And I think in a couple of different settings yes. or different positions, but tell me a little bit about how you have taken your philosophy that you just described, mm -hmm. how you've taken your life experiences, the things you've learned from your birth mom, from mom and from mother-in-law and all the older ladies and everybody mm -hmm. you've learned from. How have you taken that and applied it here for kids? Okay. I started out with here in Southern Utah gang prevention, and I worked with the police officers and we would identify areas that we needed to do presentations to teach people about what goes on with gangs, what with graffiti, what to report, how to watch for your kids, maybe getting involved. And then eventually, as we got that rolling and it was doing really well, Big Brothers, Big Sisters, which is a mentoring program, mm -hmm. and we needed one so badly here. And so I worked on a grant with that and worked with some people to get that going. Then I had to take a break because I had young kids mm -hmm. and I needed mm -hmm. to give a little more attention. And I started subbing in the school so I can see what my kids were learning. <laughs> Clever. And, and then see other kids because I felt like there's probably a lot of kids that maybe don't have the parent support. And I wanted to try to be that person for them. But my final thing that I really dived into was the Children's Justice Center. And that is a facility here where it's an interview home that helps prepare children for court that come out of abusive homes or have been abused. And it is a phenomenal place. It helps the kids be comfortable because when I was interviewed as a child, it was at a police station. My first thought is I did something wrong. Yep. This facility, they come into a comfortable setting. It's like a home. There's stuffed animals, there's books, there's blankets, and everything is so well done to pre prepare them if they need to go to court and get all of the people lined up that need to be a part of this and hear this story so they don't have to repeat it constantly. And that's huge. Mm. And they don't, people don't understand that even here I am, and I'll say it, I'm in my 60s. Okay. It's still hard to say it. And so imagine having to say that over and over as a child when you're still in the middle of that trauma in your own mind through the years, we've worked with at-risk youth, and I have a couple of things that was really cool. We, we took assemblies into the schools to try and teach kids about suicide prevention and drug prevention and to look for the better role models and those mentors. Is this middle schools, high schools? Middle school, elementary? high school. Okay. Yeah. 
And in one particular high school, brought an assembly. It was a phenomenal assembly. And let's just say the kids were chattering a little bit. So there wasn't a lot of respect. And I thought, oh, what a waste of time. Oh, my gosh, I got to figure this out. But I got a call from the counselor a few weeks later and said right after that assembly, there were two kids who were planning to commit suicide. And they, after seeing that, they went and talked to the counselor. Mm. I look at that when you say, if you only affect one, mm. that did. Another time, we were doing an at-risk summer camp for a lot of kids who raised their grades. And they would have mentors. The police officers were their mentors. And we'd have them for a week. And we would introduce them to things in the community to see what they can be a part of, mm. a work-filled, everything. And I noticed at the park where we were eating lunch, there was one particular kid that was just standing around, not really participating. And I went over and chatted with them and said, dude, come on, look, they're playing some fun games. I know you like to play games. And he said, I'm just watching this whole scene and I'm going, this is great. This is wonderful. You're here. You're showing us what we can accomplish. If we keep our grades up, we can possibly go to college. We can have this job and we can be great people. He says, and then you send us back home to the dysfunction. Mm -hmm. This came from a 13-year-old kid. And he goes, what about the adults? What about my parents, my family? Who's helping them? Who's getting them to where they need to be to help me get where I need to be? And I'm just like, oh, yeah, you're right. You're right. And so then we did try to do some adult things, but unfortunately we didn't get very many of them to come. No. Adults but, are harder yeah. than, than kids. How Wow. And, and are you still involved with the Children's Justice Center or is it I, kind no, of getting it rolled? That, I'm, I'm part of what's called the Friends Board. And so the Friends Board is the ones that keeps fundraisers going to yep. keep funding coming in. There's other funding coming from grants and different things. Mm -hmm. But the Friends Board is the one that the local funding, yep. the local fundraisers. We just keep things rolling with yep. them. Yeah. One of the best things about this podcast is for people who get the chance to tell their story in this way, it's recorded. Mm -hmm. And you can share this with your children. You think about now, as you were a mom, did your kids have an appreciation for where you came from? Did they see you as a product of your life? Or was that like a, a step too far for teenagers to get? I believe my girls did because girls are more emotional mm -hmm. and can tie into that. I don't think my boys really knew. It didn't really hit them until they were older and became parents. Mm. But my girls, I do think they knew it definitely resonated more as they became moms. As moms, yeah. Yeah. The thing with my kids, it's like I always told them, you had a Disneyland childhood. Like we, we mm. had normal disputes and yep. things. And when they'd be mad at me about something, I'd go, hey, no, don't even go there. <laughs> because I know where I was and you guys have a Disneyland childhood yeah, and you're exactly. good. A little cliche. But I, the thing I always told them is I wanted you to have better I wanted you, I wanted to be here for you and be the mom that I didn't have. If you were able to bottle up the Ginny Cannon magic and say, okay, here's how you use this. Here's how you can gain a kid's trust. What would you say? Love them. Be there for them and love them. And I'm a big hugger. So I hug. And even kids that say, oh, I don't want the hug. They want the hug, but they want to be tough. But they have to know that they're loved and you're there for them. They need to know that. And I try to do that even with my grandkids. They need to know that. Mm -hmm. Mom and dad still rule. Totally. But grandma and grandpa, 
we're here and you're loved. When I say goodbye to them or when they walk in, I just hug them and tell them, I love you so much. Mm. Yeah. It's a powerful tool if you're a youth coach. If you can show the mm -hmm. totally appropriate, most positive kind of love for the kids, it will transform their lives because you don't know which one is a Ginny Cannon with a home life that, that leaves a lot to be desired. We just don't know. And I'll finish up with this. Kid First Sports, we teach the four heart lessons, okay? The four heart lessons are number one, my coach believes in me. Wrapped up in that is my coach loves me. Yeah. Okay. That's wrapped up in that. You can't truly believe in a kid if you don't have love towards him. So my coach loves me. He believes in me or she. Number two, I don't fear mistakes. If you're a kid first coach, teach the kids that they don't fear mistakes. Number three, their performance is not their value. Right. Okay? Exactly. Your performance is not your value. Your value is inherent. It's intrinsic. You are worthy of love because of who you are, not because of what you do on a field or in a school or in a job or anything else. And number four is my enemy is my lesser self. So that yeah. we focus in on who are you trying to defeat? It's not the people across from you. Right. Like those 14 year old girls who are across from you on the court or the field, mm -hmm. they're just like you. They're <laughs> yeah. not your enemy. Mm -hmm. They're your opponent that day. Right. But your enemy is your lesser self, your weaker self, your prideful self. That's the kind of self right. we're fighting. So I'm going to close with that because I think I don't talk about those enough, but the four heart lessons, coaches, pick one, talk mm -hmm. about it, use the language, talk about it in your warm ups. talk about it at practice before your games. Hey, today guys, we're going to talk about and focus on, I don't fear mistakes. So that's what you're going to hear from me today. Get it in their heads. All right. That's the end of my sermon. Jenny, this has been unbelievable. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for mm -hmm. being open and Man, what I felt being across from you has been incredible. And I hope that the audience can sense the incredible amount of love that you have for other people. Thank you. If you ever get to St. George, Utah, and uh, you want to feel special, let me know and I'll send you Ginny's way. Absolutely. So anyways, thank you. Thank you for joining me. This is Coach Dave from the Kid First Sports Podcast. I'm out. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please subscribe and leave a rating and review. Share with all your friends. Tune in for new episodes as we grow this movement to keep youth sports about the kids. 